0: following message is from the 2015 IBCD Summer Institute, Equipped to Counsel. So, welcome and welcome back to uh, most of you. This is uh, General Principles of Biblical Counseling, Part Two. And as I mentioned earlier today, this is part of the care and discipleship instruction. And we wanted to give you a sense of what's in the instruction um, so that you can uh, take the whole packet back to your church and. Um, have people take this great doctrine and help them make it practical in, in, in the lives of the church. Uh, the people who were here earlier, I told them this class is kind of like a fire hose. Um, information is just going to come at you for about an hour. But you know, you're not going to retain it all. The, that's, that's not the point. The point is that you're just familiar that there is a counseling model, and that, uh what the eight eyes are. You know where to go to get more information on it, and you can talk to people um, about the eight eyes when you hear them um, bring that subject up. So that our. You said at the beginning of the first data model that this is a methodology called the eight eyes. Is there another methodology you follow, or is this the primary one? Uh, this is the primary one for our circles, but at the end, there's one that we're going to spend just a few minutes uh, that simplifies this. Um, it's very simple, similar, but the, the way they categorize it makes it simpler. So there are others. Uh, this is the one in um, the circles of um, ACBC certification, um, I, IBCD. So our training is divided up into level one care and discipleship, level two, level three, and then the last part would be ACBC certification. Uh, this will actually count towards your level one certification with IVCD. Um, it'll actually uh, the one or the class earlier and tonight will cover three of the the classes that are required for that for that certification. So let me uh, pray and then I'll do a very brief review for those of you who weren't here at part one. And then we'll move into um, the, the eyes. So let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you for Jesus. We can't thank you enough. We just want to spend our whole life thanking you. We want to live grateful. Thank you for this conference. That You uh, sent these teachers um, to care for us and to grow us and train us and to speak um, from your word to us. And we're grateful for your care and concern wisdom for us. We ask your blessing on the workshop, that uh, your spirit would help, that this would be used um, in the lives of ourselves and in the lives of people that you bring to us. And Lord, we pray that all this, what we want is your church to be strengthened and that you would be glorified in your precious church. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. So by way of review... um, this class is called General Principles of Biblical Counseling, but it's really about the Eight Eyes Counseling uh, Model, and the Eight Eyes are here. Earlier today, we went through the first four Eyes: Involvement, Inspiration, Inventory, and Interpretation. Tonight, we're going to go through the second four: Instruction, Inducement, Implementation, and Integration. And in your notes, I should have uh, marked there somehow that this material has been taken from and adapted from Dr. Wayne Mack at a graduate course at the Master's College, so to give him credit for that. And the current book where you can find this information is in your notes, Counseling, How to Counsel Biblically, and there's a 100 pages in that book just on on this topic. So there's plenty there um, if you want to study it more. So the eight I's are... uh, the elements of what takes place in counseling. Sometimes it's very helpful to break it down into elements. Or you could say that it's a counseling model. How do we do it? Um, Colossians 128, we proclaim him, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom, so that you may be uh, so that we may present every man complete in Christ. So we're told what to do, but this counseling model helps you in how to do that. <clears throat> and then in um, in practice, um, there's there is a flow to the eight eyes, but in practice, you can go back and forth with these eyes. So, for example, uh, earlier we talked about involvement, which is really a relationship. Um, if you're on the seventh and eighth eye, relationship doesn't go away. So there is an order, like you would establish relationship in the beginning of the counseling um, time, but. It doesn't go away. Or number two, inspiration is hope. You you can you, you want to start by giving them hope, or they're not gonna they're not gonna want to meet with you. But hope can be brought in all along. So um, the elements are very interconnected. So we start with bad fruit in somebody's life. Um, we start going through these eyes. We get to the root or the heart issue, the issue between their heart and the Lord, and then we begin to um, minister to them through. The eyes five through eight, and hopefully good fruit will come and God will be glorified. So, the fifth eye is instruction. And in your notes, there's the definition of this it says, promote biblical change through accurate, concrete, practical, and appropriate teaching and counsel from Scripture, providing God's perspective on what to do to solve the problems. And then you have the scriptural references uh, that give us um, the, uh, the, the knowledge and the authority to teach. So regarding instruction, uh, to begin with, there's prerequisites for instructions. So you have to know what the real issues going on in the person's life are. You have to do a good job in those first four eyes, getting their trust so they open up to you, developing relationship, giving them hope, but then also good data gathering and then also figuring out the biblical cause um, and solution to this. So once you've got that done, you can move into the fifth eye, which is instruction. And then you also need to know the scriptures, obviously. Um, In your attachments, if you go to the back of your notes, there's attachment three. And the heading on it says, 100 go-to texts for biblical counseling. So... This is a resource for you. It's topical, and it gives you a couple of uh, key texts. Um, What I like about it is some of these kinds of helps give too many scriptures, and it gets a little overwhelming where this gives a couple of scriptures by topic. And the way my Bible is uh, set up is um, there's certain scriptures that I know I want to go to, my mind remembers on certain topics, and then I cross-reference from there. So, you know, if I, if I want to go to Ephesians 4.32 for forgiveness, then at Ephesians 4.32 I have cross-references for where else I might want to go in case I'm not remembering, you know, everywhere I want to go. But there's just certain ones I tend to go to. Um, I have the best memory for those. I've used them the most. But I have my Bible very, very much cross-referenced like that. Um, also a prerequisite is that it's not just knowing Scriptures but it's the whole life of someone ministering God's word is uh, is part of this. Um, the whole life of someone counseling is a process of preparing your character and your knowledge of Scripture. It's it's not something you do one time. It's something you'll do um, all the time and and for the rest of your life. Second Peter three seventeen and eighteen. You therefore beloved, knowing this beforehand. Be on your guard so that you are not carried away by the error of unprincipled men and fall away from your own steadfastness, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And then to instruct, um, it needs to be based on the word of God. The authority is God. 1 Thessalonians 2.13, For this reason, we also constantly thank God that when you receive the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but for what it really is, the word of God, which also performs its work in you who believe. So Scripture is the only source of authority. It's not our opinions and preferences. It's not theories, and it's not scientific studies. And what's wonderful for us that in a world of theories, there is truth that, that we can stand on. Um, so um, we want to be... Um, confident in the authority of the Word of God, the sufficiency of the Word of God, Um, but we also need to be, we need to love the Word, but we also need to be just as careful to not add to the Word um, in our churches or in in counseling. Um, We need to not be legalistic or commanding beyond what the Bible says. Um, Some things the Bible says, thus says the Lord. And we can speak authoritatively from God's Word like that. But there's other things that the Bible doesn't say, thus says the Lord. And so instead, we need to give examples of how things can be done. We need to give advice. We need to give uh, advice in the form of wisdom. There's no real right or wrong here, but this would be a, a wise way of handling it. So we have to be careful not to tell people, you shall do this, if the Bible doesn't say that. And then... Um, the teaching being from the Word of God that we need to be real, to watch ourselves. Are we explaining Scripture in context or are we just kind of going to one verse? So we need to grow in the ability to uh, expound Scripture. Um, scripture is uh, powerful to transform people and um, prepare them for the circumstance that they're going through and actually for all the work that God has planned for them but we need to um, make sure it's in context and we're giving it for the purpose God gave it. 2 Timothy three sixteen and 17, All scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate equipped for every good work. Um, and it's very helpful to not just read the Word of God to people. Often you, you won't get any feedback whether they whether they blanked out while you were talking, whether they didn't understand what you were saying, whether you, you read too fast, you lost them. So it's, there's a lot of advantages to um, have the counselee read the passage, let the Word of God directly speak to them, let them read it in their, in their, um, uh, at their pace. Um, and then <clears throat> it's helpful to have a dialogue format, rather than you just read and you just tell, dialogue. Back and forth with them, um, ask questions, and then have the counselee explain the text in their own words. Often, when they first read it, they really didn't—they they, don't really understand it. <coughs> when you have them read it again, they might understand it, or when you begin to ask questions like "Who's speaking here? Who is he speaking to?" You help them come to their conclusions um, <coughs> about the text. And then I I believe that counselors should um, always bring their own personal Bibles. A lot of times people will show up with no Bible, Um, but I want them familiar with locating the texts that they they remember. I remember it's in Timothy and it's at the top of this corner near the end of Timothy. That that's that's growing. That's getting there. That's helpful. Um, I want them to be writing in their Bibles, um, using them to get more and more familiar with where these texts are. And then if you're teaching the Scriptures um, um, with the authority of God, there is, James three one says, there is a higher responsibility and a stricter judgment. So we have to be very careful. Um, we don't want to give unbiblical counsel like Job's friends. So be careful not to just talk. You know, we you need, need to really stay close to the Scriptures. Be careful not to give things out of context. And if it's at all possible... Um, Study and teach the Bible, like even if you're just teaching one-on-one, but you're studying and preparing and then you're teaching, Um, or you can teach uh, maybe in a woman's Bible study, or you can teach adult Sunday school, you can teach children's ministries. It's it's very helpful to um, be teaching to understand the Scriptures better. And then regarding this uh, higher responsibility, um, it's our responsibility to expose unbiblical counseling methods. And a lot of people have been saturated with that. So we need answers from Scripture that are in the context of Christ in the gospel. Uh, we don't want them to do something just because it's uh, out of moralism, or we don't want them to do something because it's going to solve their problem. We want them to do it in the context of Christ. Um, We've don't. We got to expose any answers that aren't increasing someone's dependence on God. So some people might get relief in something, but it's not increasing their dependence on God. We're not really helping them to grow. And then people who th- think the answers are within themselves, we need to expose that. Man's theories that they come to you with, um, non-directive therapy, that sort of thing. Um, we have a responsibility to expose those things. And then the counseling should be Christ-centered. Jesus and the gospel are appointed to. Uh, as the answer, um, there's repentance, but there needs to be faith in Christ, who He is, what He's done, all that we have to be thankful for. Um, and scripture passages are given in the context of the gospel. So, for example, if we're talking to somebody about forgiving, Ephesians four thirty-two, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. So, you're commanded to forgive. But, but the indicative, the example, the motivation, what God has done for you, the gospel is that because God has forgiven you in Christ, that's why you forgive this other person. And then we want to help people with a growing identity in Christ. Galatians 2.20 I've been crucified with Christ, and it's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. So my identity is Christ loves me and gave himself up for me. And then we want to help people to rest in Christ. Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28. Come to me all who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. And you can ask your counselees, are you weary? Are you heavy laden? And they are going to say, absolutely. And so we go to this verse and say that your rest is going to be found in Christ. This verse is really uh, for unbelievers, but your counselees, all of us, drift from Christ. We drift from the gospel, and we function like unbelievers. We function like we're autonomous, like we don't have a father, like we're on our own. We function in works righteousness, and they need to come back and rest in a gospel of grace and in their Savior. And continuing on the topic of instruction, um, often we need to develop an instruction plan or agenda. So you've kind of kind of got an interpretation, uh, validated your interpretation, so you go on to formulate some kind of a plan or agenda. And I always uh, write out my uh, agenda and I share it with the counselee. This is what I have in mind. Um, that as other things come up we 'll add to the agenda, but right now, these are the main important things that I think we should cover, and do you see anything else we should cover and it 's very hope giving to realize somebody has a plan it 's not just tonight; they have a plan over the next several weeks of what all we 're going to do step by step. you know maybe the first step is we 're just going to talk about god we 're going to talk about the gospel and Christ and and all that, and um, get you rested in the gospel, get you back to grace and then we're going to move into, you know, maybe the presenting problem or something, but come up with a a plan for them. Um, You can prioritize this plan. um, Maybe maybe not part of a written plan, but in your mind you're going to try to do something small for them that will give them... um, um, see that we're getting things accomplished, giving them hope, that sort of thing. Or maybe the plan you'll want to... um, See, it seems like this issue is tying all these issues together. And so um, let's, like, the person's angry at work, angry with wife, angry with kids, angry with friends. Um, what is the string that's tying all this together? That, that might be um, part of the plan. Um, or if there's an emergency, there's physical abuse going on, there's um, uh, adultery, someone suicidal, then... That that would be at the top of the agenda on the plan. And then what I've found so often is that people who come to our counseling center from outside of our church um, and some within our church too, um, basic theology is just not there. They they need to be taught basic theology. Um, A lot of people haven't confessed their sin biblically. Uh, It's certainly not a pattern of their life. It's not how they deal with relational problems. And so teaching them about confession, teaching them about forgiveness... Those types of things are often um, are needed kind of kind of remedial things before you can get into really solving the problems and then uh, having prepared counseling outlines and handouts are, are valuable so you could have um, a topical outline you could have something on anxiety um, that um, is kind of a hell for you or maybe there's a passage that uh, you've expounded and, and you have that there that you can look at before the counseling to kind of refresh your memory. Um, this requires the counselor to study ahead of time and that's that's what is needed. Um, counseling is a lifetime of study. You will always come up with things that are new. Uh, you'll come up with things uh, that just have a different uh, aspect to them or things that you've forgotten. Um, so it's... Uh, it's uh, it, it's a lifetime of study. Um, and then these, these helps that you have, they can continually be improved. As you learn more, you can improve the, the, the things that you have. Um, and then um, teach Scripture creatively. Use stories, examples, diagrams. Hebrews 10.24 says, "...let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds." So the Bible allows us to think. How? What would be the best way to approach this? And um, you know, I'll give you a, a little example, like using uh, the whiteboard um, in counseling to be a creative way um, uh, with people with um, um, serious or complex problems. I like to uh, talk about their past a little bit. I talk to them how. We're not going to be like this, uh, this uh, secular world and spend the next two years in your past. We're going to spend tonight in your past, maybe maybe a little more. Um, your past is very, very significant, um, but it's the truth that's going to set you free. Um, so we don't have to unwind the spaghetti of your past completely. Uh, but sometimes it's very, very helpful for them to see what has happened and how they've been controlled by sin um, throughout their life. So. Um, you know, I might talk about their past with creatively with a diagram. Tell them that everything changes after the cross. Back here, there was um, before becoming a believer. There was uh, there were lies um, um, that they were provoked. Provoked instead of being discipled. They were pushed in the wrong direction. They were given bad counsel, bad, you know, maybe unbelieving parents that pushed them away from Christ, people mistreated, all kinds of things that happened to people. But from that, instead of running to Christ, they start formulating lies. If this is what life is like, then this is my greatest need in life. Um, for example, um, um, if. Um, It could be any number of things, but if my uh, father was really, really angry, and then you start formulating the lie that my greatest need in life is peace, and you start living life guided by the the craving for peace, and instead of being driven by God and by his word, you're driven by that. And and what you'll do is you'll instead of dealing with conflict properly, you'll run from conflict or you'll attack because it's irrational. I want peace so bad, I'll I'll, I'll break up peace to get peace. So the so these lies start um, becoming your guidance for life, and instead of just a lie, it becomes like the lie of an idol in your life, something you're serving, and you've really been mistreated and provoked. And then, it, but at the cross, what happens is um, some things that were in your life clear up as soon as you're converted. Some things clear up, um, and then, but there's other things that have happened in your life that carry past into your Christian walk, and so um, the truth of God will begin to set you free, and and in the church. You start getting discipled. And you start getting pointed to Christ and seeing Christ as the solution. And um, when people can see that this was very, very wrong, what happened, uh, sometimes even criminal uh, abuse, things like that, Um, but to get set free, they have to see that they began to be controlled by lies um, for the rest of their life. And they need to start turning from that. Repenting of those lies and turning to the truth. Peace is not my greatest need. Jesus is my greatest need, and the byproduct from that will be peace. So, um, uh, John 8 31 and 32. Um, If you uh, follow my word, the truth will set you free. Um, You got Jesus speaking. I try to always not make these just nice pictures, but bring Jesus and Scripture into it. There's more Scriptures that we could use here. 2 Corinthians 5.17, that here you are new, and we're, it's this process of changing from lies to truth and being set free. And these what these people have done is, between them and God, how we've responded to it autonomously from God, believing lies, not running to Him, we need to repent of that. And... Um, so, sometimes when they see all the struggles here and they see how they got here, we'll, you know, we'll list what were the provocations in their life. Um, and then from those provocations, how did you start believing? And they'll start seeing, I came up with all these greatest needs. And anytime you say something's my greatest need, you're into idolatry and there's going to be sinful behavior and a lot of um, damage that goes on. Okay, you want to teach to the level of the counselee. Um, Ask them to look up passages and see how familiar they are with their Bible. Um, If they're not familiar, obviously be very, very gracious and um, don't make them feel awkward. Um, That's why they're there. They're there to learn and get more familiar with their Bibles. But you can see that that there's going to have to be a lot of teaching going on because they, they don't know their Bibles. And then you can ask them to read verses, and you see how comfortable they are with reading. And some people don't read, some people don't read well, and you can get to know them better in that way. And then some people uh, really know the Bible, but they have a very, very low knowledge of love and wisdom. They know the scriptures, but they don't know love and wisdom. And so that's a different kind of person. That, that, that's a low level of a person as far as you know the instruction, and you've got you to teach to that level. Um, James 3.17 says, But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering without hypocrisy. So I don't care how right you are, if this isn't the way your attitude, if this isn't the way you're approaching it, you don't have wisdom in, in the way you're ministering the Scriptures. You're using the Scriptures um, for self-protection or to, or to punish somebody. So, um, And then the goal of the instruction is uh, Christ-likeness. Romans 8.29, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. So that's our goal also. And what that looks like is love for God, love for neighbor. And uh, love for God and love for neighbor um, is pleasing to God and glorifies God. And then part of... uh, Part of this instruction is the biblical concept of put on and put off. Um, You want to explain progressive sanctification to them. First, we remember who we are in Christ. We're dead to sin. We're alive to God. Um, And based on that, we want to obey. And when God wants us to actively put off sin and put on righteousness, put on obedience, put on Christlikeness... Um, so the put off part, repentance is, is taught. Uh, exerting effort against the old ways is taught. Um, Ephesians four twenty two, put off. <clears> that <clears throat> in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lust of deceit. <clears throat> And then um, you teach about godly sorrow and worldly sorrow. Godly sorrow is wholehearted. Godly sorrow um, changes behavior. Godly sorrow knows the sin is primarily against God. Um, and uh, Psalm 51.4, David, against you, you only. I, I've sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you are justified when you speak and blameless when you judge. So David sinned more than against God. It's God's law he violated, but he sinned against Bathsheba, Uriah, Israel, his family. Um, But for the purpose of clarification, uh, this kind of language is used against you and only you. That's repentance when um, they know it's against God. Where worldly sorrow is, um, it's over consequences. Um, It's self-protective. And then there's the other side of Ephesians 4.24, putting on, and put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of truth. And we need to uh, create new patterns. We need to practice these things. It requires effort. And um, the new patterns uh, following those verses were given uh, as examples. They're not anywhere near comprehensive, but as examples, instead of falsehood, Uh, Now the new pattern is truthfulness, sinful anger, righteous anger, stealing, giving, words tearing down, words that edify, Uh, bitterness now to forgiveness. And then in your notes, there's a whole list there, right, a chart of all these uh, sins to put off and righteousness to put on. So it's just things to think about. Um, And then what God does in this process is he renews our mind. This is a passive thing. It's a thing that God does. Um, Ephesians 4.23, and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind. That's a work of God. The six I is inducement. Um, Some people call it intention, but inducement is the more common thing. And in your notes, it gives you the definition. Promote biblical change by motivating or persuading. So part of inducement is motivating or persuading. The counselee to repent of sinful attitudes, words, or actions, and make a decisive commitment to counseling and to obey the Lord, following biblical directives. And you see the scriptural references to inducing people. Um, so the first thing to say about that is the counselee must be willing to change. John seven seventeen is: If anyone is willing to do his will, he will know of the teaching whether it is of God or whether I speak of myself. Um, uh, you cannot get everybody to change. You're not in control of their side of it, their, their willingness to, if, uh, to, I just want to know what the Bible says and I'll do it. Not everybody has that attitude and that mindset, so they need to be willing. Um, and counseling is more than just instructing people. Um, you have to know, do I have a counselee or do I have someone just here talking? Is this person serious about counseling? Proverbs 14, 23, In all labor there's profit, but mere talk leads to poverty. Um, If I can show you from the Bible what to do, will you follow those steps? Um, They they need to answer yes to that question. And then they need to be committed to, um, to the counseling process, and they need to be committed to obedience to God. Luke 9, 23 and 24, And he was saying to them all, If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake, he is the one who will save it. Some counselees are hearers of the word only. And they need to try to get them and do some to become responsible doers of the word. Um, and their motives are crucial um, if, this is, if they're really going to uh, be sanctified and changed. John 14, 15, If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. That needs to be their motive. And then the kinds of commitments uh, to induce counselees. um, I have some examples here. Uh, One is that they make their choices primarily for the glory of God um, and that they're willing to realize that there's other gods they need to forsake and worship God alone. Um, what I'm saying here is they need, to be, they need to agree that they need to be concerned not just about their behavior, but about their heart sins before God. Um, they need to tr- trust and depend on Christ and real- start seeing where they're trusting in themselves or trusting in other people. Um, but they need to trust in Christ for the grace and the resources that they need. And then they need to make the Bible their final authority. Might have to talk through with that with them. Uh, so many people will say, um, uh, "How in an argument am I going to bring the word of God to bear?" They they need to learn how to do that. They they but they you know you don't do it on the spot. You practice it, and then when the when the storm comes, you're able to be a doer of the word. And then uh, they they need to see that all that is biblical is. Um, sin, including things like their motives and their thinking and their feelings, and um, they need to be motivated to be set free from sin and not just unpleasant circumstances. They can't be in, in, in working with you to get rid of these unpleasant circumstances, but, but um, the unpleasant circumstances that have been caused by sin. Um, and then that they uh, have this commitment to do whatever's necessary to actually change on working on things that are displeasing uh, to God. And then they need to, uh, they need to commit to persevering um, in doing what God wants them to do. So they, they're, they're learning they've got to take God more serious, take His Word more serious. They've got to be doers of this. And they also have to learn it takes perseverance, um, regardless of... Um, changing circumstances and feelings, they they need to uh, persevere in God's grace. And another thing to uh, kind of help remember this is this acronym, ACCEPT. Um, so part of the, the commitment and inducement is uh, acknowledge personal responsibility, choose the Bible's way of doing things. I have this in your notes, right, I hope, so you're not writing so much. Um, commit to change. Exert energy, persevere, and trust the Lord. And inducing the the commitment uh, primarily is offering hope in Christ and getting them to understand how changed their heart and life can really be. Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Their life can look radically different through Christ. And then there could be resistance. And so in the inducement process, you're trying to uncover what this resistance is. So it could be an unbeliever. Um, you're going you're gonna to minister to uh, people who think they're believers and they're not. Um, wrong views of God, false views of God. I mentioned earlier asking the question, how does God view you? After that's been drawn out of them. Based on that, how do you view God? Um, And it could be something like, he's disappointed in me, therefore I need to do things to make up for that disappointment. And they've drifted from grace into a works um, life. Um, And then it could be all these other things, so many things, unbelief, pride, uh, ignorance, fear, bitterness, those kinds of things. And then if there's specific resistance that you're hearing... Um, like they say, unless I feel this in my heart, um, it wouldn't be right for me to do it. And you can address that resistance um, with you know, things like, that's why we're here, your heart is not right. We want um, to help um, so that God will change your heart. And then we obey in spite of sinful hearts. So helping them with that kind of thinking. And then inducing commitment might be uh, someone where you just get them to make some partial commitment to counseling. Um, meet with me six times, and let's see how it goes. Rather than nothing, or um, um, can you commit just to doing the homework? That that kind of thing. We won't go beyond that, but just do the homework for a while. So, trying to getting some lesser commitment. And then, um, if if another way to do it is if there's someone who has influence over them, then they can be brought involved to help induce this commitment Um, and then church discipline can be in some cases um, an inducement to commitment Matthew 18, 17 if he refuses to listen to them and this is um, a really hardened place uh, at this point in the progression from Matthew 18, 15 to 17, tell it to the church and if he refuses to listen even to the church let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector if the counselee refuses to be committed um, you start speaking loving uh, and patient but confrontational words to them. Um, you're starting to worry about salvation. Salvation is the chief concern between you and this person. And the more resistant they are, the more they're rejecting the truth, the stronger you get in confrontation and sympathy both um, at the same time. 2 Thessalonians three fourteen and 15. If anyone does not obey our instruction in this letter, take special note of that person and do not associate with him so that he will be put to shame. Yet do not regard him as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. So there's times when the counseling relationship uh, will need to end. Um, If they're not doing the work, they're not doing the growth work between sessions, probably needs to end. If the sinning is going on, probably needs to end. Um, And the counseling can come to a close in different ways. Um, one is you could say, depending on the situation, you could say, why don't you start putting into practice what we've talked about. We're going to take a break from the counseling. You put into practice, and we can we can get together in the future. Um, or you could humbly direct them to somebody else. Although I've noticed when others have tried and they come to me, I get the same result. So, um, you know, it's not a matter if we just find the right person. But it's possible. You could find somebody more experienced, um, uh, somebody that God chooses to use. Um, and then um, sometimes counseling ends where the counselee just leaves sad. They just leave on their own accord. Uh, Matthew 10, 21 and 22. Looking him at him, Jesus felt a love for him and said to him, one thing you lack, go and sell all your possessions and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me But at these words, he was saddened, and he went away grieving, for he was one who owned much property. And um, counseling can also end with church discipline actually being carried out. So those are various ways that it can come to a close when there's a lack of commitment there. Um, Now, we do a lot of counseling, and we, we always frame it up like this. Sometimes miraculous change happens. Sometimes people grind forward. And sometimes people, there's no change. They go away sad that we can see. And maybe God uses in the future. So if you're experiencing that, it's not. it doesn't mean that you're not being faithful to ministering the word. We're all experiencing that. Um, that is not a reason to not counsel because not everyone is having miraculous change. Okay, the seventh eye, implementation. In your notes, we have the definition, promote. Biblical change by helping the counselee to be a doer of the word. So implementation is being a doer of the word, practicing biblical directives in daily life until new patterns become established. And then there's scriptural references there for um, God wants us to be doers of the word. So usually the greatest progress is not made in the counseling session with the counselee. Um, They need in daily life to be applying and believing the gospel. Um, One of the first questions I'll ask people is, this week while you were away from me, um, what did you apply? What were you thinking about? And when they start saying, "Um, I had these same provocations, these same temptations, but I started thinking about who God is, I'm starting to get very, very hopeful. And then the next week, you know, what was your week like? Uh, what Did you apply something? And you start hearing that gospel is affecting behavior. Um, this is something good happening. Um, so the counseling must do the work necessary outside of counseling. Philippians 2.12 So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Don't work for your salvation, but there is work to do to work out your salvation. And then the counselee uh, must depend on God, though, because he's the one who gives the, um, the desire and the ability to do the work. Philippians 2.13, For it's God who is at work in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So it's not enough just to teach and have someone listen. The word of God is intended to be practiced. They need action and obedience. And uh, practicing in real-life circumstances is necessary, and you need to give concrete homework assignments so they'll do that. Counseling is one hour a week. They have 112 hours of waking hours. They can be thinking about these things and practicing these things. And then um, regarding implementation, Um, You prepare the counselee with a plan for temptation. So first, talk to them about how to avoid tempting situations. Proverbs 22.3 The prudent sees the evil and hides himself, but the naive go on and are punished for it. So the counsellor and counselee need to expect that these temptations are going to occur again. So have a plan to break these old patterns. Uh, For example, just leaving the situation Uh, 2 Timothy 2.22, Now flee from youthful lusts and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Or um, no longer be with these friends, be with godly friends. Um, Read the Bible and pray when tempted. Um, Very few people do that. Um, But help them to do that. And then... um, in your attachments, in the back of your notes, I have a couple of attachments. Uh, Attachment four and five, one's a prayer card. Attachment four, attachment five is a hope card. So what you can do with this um, to help them with their temptations is encourage them with the prayer card, encourage them to pray, and the prayer card helps them to pray with right motives. Um, rather than just praying, uh, help me, change my circumstances, which those are okay, but this helps them to pray with right motives. Um, and then they can go to the scriptures that are on here too to read the scriptures and then even pray the scriptures uh, back to the Lord. And then the hope card, attachment five, you can, you're giving them hope and counseling, but the hope card can give them hope all week long. Um, so on the front side... You pick a passage that um, will give them hope. And on the back side, um, you can give them this prayer where they can pray that passage back and then have them um, do this a couple times a day, have them do it when they're tempted. And then they can begin to change this prayer and personalize it for themselves. And keeping hope, keeping scripture and hope in front of them. And then they can also, uh, if tempted, call a friend, meet with a friend, accountability person, pray together. And then if they sin, have them uh, taught on how to respond to those failures. Proverbs twenty four sixteen For a righteous man falls seven times and rises again, but the wicked stumble in time of calamity. Um, so, um, these are... These are things that you can talk to them about. That, um, And this is also good if they call you and they say, I've failed, kind of talk them through this, that um, remember the grace of God, don't hide, run to him. Um, remember you failed, but Jesus kept the law perfectly on your behalf. Um, confess the sin to God, ask for the power to be different, ask for self-control, ask for gentleness, whatever the case is. And then remember, if you confess, God promises to forgive you. He's faithful and just to forgive and cleanse you. And then you can also, after the fact, make contact with a friend or accountability person and then obey God's word and move out into whatever changes need to be made. Maybe it's uh, more protection on your Internet or something like that. But move out and make the needed changes. Okay, regarding uh, implementation, give concrete growth assignments. Um, I think I have in your notes, and they're up here on the slide, but um, good homework includes these kinds of things. Uh, Regular Bible reading, and uh, I try to get them uh, to do devotional reading where they're hearing from God from his written word, and then they're praying in response. And I ask them what they 're doing with their Bible, and so many people aren't having just a personal time with Jesus as a person right they 're reading their Bible to get through it in a year they're they're studying their Bible, they're listening to sermons, but they're not having a time where they just sit at the feet of Christ, to hear from Him, and speak to Him, and that, that's, I try to get them to do that as a minimum. And then I talk to them as you pray, if you don't know what to pray, I mean, as you read, if you don't know what to pray, just uh, pray in response to God's Word, or pray God's very Word back to Him, and try to help them be aware of the indicatives and imperatives in Scripture. Um, as they read the Bible, so many people, when it says "beloved of God," they just read right past it. I want them to stop on "beloved of God," think about it, meditate on it, rest in it, enjoy it, and and then move on to, um, you know, it telling you now walk in love and start telling you what how you should live, um, and then or there could be Bible reading specific to s- certain sin issues. Um, sexual issues turning to Proverbs 5 through 7, that sort of thing, uh, passage memorization. So we want them in their Bible, but I believe the most important thing, if, if they have to pick one, is a personal time, uh, devotional time with Christ. And then more good homework is church attendance and even uh, notes on the, on the sermon so they, they can try to apply what they've heard, application of the message, small group accountability, um, and then collateral reading, meaning I don't want them reading a book and they're not having a devotional time in their word with the, with the, with the Lord. So, um, um, But collateral reading is good. What we're noticing more and more is people uh, they're not, they won't read a whole book, they have a very hard time reading a whole book, so more and more we're using pamphlets, uh, audios, those sorts of things. Just ask them, are you comfortable reading this whole book? Some people do devour books, but uh, most people, um, they would be better off with um, um, a pamphlet. Uh, uh, reading with a partner is good. It's wonderful. You know, It's not you as the counselor, but there's another partner where they can read together. They can uh, discuss what they've read, encourage each other, and they can pray together about what, what they've read. And then other good homework is the prayer card that we already talked about. And then the hope card. Um, and then give assignments that reinforce the teaching and not just more head knowledge. So, for example, um, assignments like go confess your sin to the Lord and confess your sin to this person, um, that sort of thing. Uh, go serve others in this particular way. Or, now, you see, the way I said that, I got extra biblical, I got legalistic. Go do this. Um, I want to say, uh, I think it will be very helpful for you to serve. The Bible wants you to serve. How how can we serve? Here's some, here's some possibilities of how I think you could serve. How would you like to serve? What's on your heart? But, but the point of what I'm talking about is give concrete homework assignments. Um, um, do you want to find a job? God wants you to work. Um, your homework is to go search for a job, and we'll talk about it next week. But concrete stuff. Uh, Put blocking software, reporting software on your computer. Um, These specific old friends, stay away from them. Delete their phone numbers. Um, Do you agree with that? Does that seem wise? Um, um, Journal things. Um, Journal things so that you can see patterns in their lives. You can see what their temptations are. Um, you can see what their whole week looks like, but concrete things. And then on the counselor's part, I think it's good for you to be concrete as an example to them because it's very easy to be told something to do and not do it. And so I think we need to be examples. Um, so often I'll try to give them a written list of homework rather than verbally giving it to them. Sometimes I will, and I'll have them write it down. depends on the person. Some people are very uh, administrative, and they can handle it, but other people, it's very overwhelming to them. Um, So I'll, I'll give them a written list of homework. I'm being concrete, and then I want them to bring it in, and when they come in, lay it on the table, and let's go through it from top to bottom, rather than just start talking about the homework, and they've, they've lost that paper, and they kind of forget what they were even assigned. We go item by item by item, and I usually do it the first thing so they can expect it, and it's easier to time the hour or however much time you have with them because if you're counseling and then you get up against the time and you haven't gone over the homework, you get behind, and they see that it wasn't that important. Okay, the last one. Uh, the last eye is integration. In your notes, it's the definition is there. Promote biblical change until the necessary changes are integrated into the life of the counselee, and the counselee is in integrated into the life of the church. And I've got scriptural references there for you for the integration into their life and then integration into the church. So what we're trying to do is redirect the life of a person, not just solve one problem that they've come in with. And regarding uh, integrating in the life of the person, um, we want them to be more Christ-like in desires and thinking and attitudes. Um, We want them to begin to understand their problems and how to solve them biblically, that they would walk away when you're done with them uh, believing the sufficiency of Scripture. Uh, We want them to turn to God for strength, see how they've been relying on their own strength. Sometimes I put on the whiteboard, does this look like your life? Trying to keep the rules, falling back into sin. Trying to keep the law, falling back into sin. Trying harder and harder, falling back into sin. And what is missing in that? Christ. That's your own strength trying to do that. So you've got to turn to Christ to have his strength to be able to break that cycle. And then understanding the biblical process for change thats part of the integration. Um, as, de- as there is a decrease in frequency and, in- and intensity of te- temptation, you're seeing this is really starting to integrate. And then they're experiencing uh, victory where they used to fail all the time. You're getting more and more victory. And when they do fail, they're handling that biblically. Um, when they start to describe their... What, who they were when they came in and their current state. They can do it biblically and they can do it humbly. Um, meaningful devotions, like I said, are such a priority or taking place. Uh, they can talk about, I've progressed in this way and I still have these problems. These problems I know I need to be prayerful about and watchful about. Um, or you'll start hearing good reports from others. People are saying, ah, the wife is saying, I'm really seeing a change. Or you're hearing other people in the church, friends, saying, I'm really seeing a change. Um, the counselee can become a counselor to himself. He can, he can uh, comfort himself um, and even maybe start com- uh, comforting and counseling others. He becomes a biblical counseling proponent. He says, well, this has been so helpful to me. Um, I've been ministered to, I've been pastored, I've been cared for, and um, I want you to know about this. And then uh, you'll see improved physical changes with some people. You know, they're sleeping better, they're eating better, um, uh, they're not sedentary, they're, they're beginning to exercise again, those kinds of things. And then integration of them into the life of the church that they now have a clear testimony of faith and a clear understanding of the gospel. I have some people that um, when I say, um, what are you saved from, they, they can't answer it. And so they have a better understanding of the gospel, and they, and they can give a good testimony, um, that they are baptized, they're regularly attending the church, and being part of, uh, being in counseling, a requirement is to go to church, and a requirement is, or if they're not, if they're looking for a church, to be looking, to be actively looking for a church. We don't counsel apart from the local church. Um, membership in a church, or at least working on uh, membership, um, regularly partaking of the Lord's Supper as an ongoing process of um, spiritual nourishment. That they now have godly friendships they 're in people's homes. There are people 's homes their people are in their homes they 're in small groups, and then they have a, a shepherding relationship they 're accountable to leadership in the church um, a discipleship relationship can can begin after the counseling and then they 're serving they 're um, serving in the local church and then from here as this integration is happening. Um, that the length of time between counseling sessions can extend uh, based on the progress that's being made. You set up uh, checkup appointments. Why don't you come back in a month and we'll see each other? Why don't you come back in three months? Um, but staying in contact with them. And then that can transition to longer-term discipleship where someone can work with the whole person rather than the specific counseling issues. 2 Timothy two two, The things which you have heard from me um, this is the knowledge head. In the presence of many witnesses, entrust these to faithful men, so their heart can be worked on too. Who will be able to teach others also hands, being doers? Um, we want to. We don't want to just give head knowledge, but we want to give uh, content for their mind. We want to give. We want to work on their heart or their character. Uh, we want to work on competence, being doer, their hands, and we want to do it in the at. In their home church, in the context of the church. So that uh, concludes the second half of the Eight Eyes, Eyes uh, 5 through 8, the Eight Eyes Counseling Model. But very briefly, we're just about at the end here, but very briefly, someone asked about is there another methodology? Um, there is, but it's very similar. But this one is called Love, Know, Speak, Do. Um, So it is another counseling model. And in your notes, I think I gave you that Paul Tripp's book, Instruments in the Redeemer's Hands, um, it has 136 pages on this counseling model. And he goes through know, love, speak, and do. Um, It fits with the model that we just spent going over where love is equal to the involvement, the relationship, and the hope-giving, the inspiration. And know is equal to... Data gathering, inventory, interpreting the problem. You have to you have to know, you have to love the person first, build a relationship, and you gotta know what the problem is. You've got to really know what's going on here. And then that's when you speak, um, which is the instruction and inducement part, and then you try to get them to live it out, be doers of the word, which is our implementation and integration. So that's simpler to remember. Um uh if someone comes up to you and says, um, uh, I need your help. The first thing you need to do is just love them, right? That's that's the first methodology, and then you can um, manage uh, the time you need to work into other things. Different cases take different times to move from love, know, speak, and and do. Your last attachment is attachment six, and it it has uh, it's broken down like this with uh, the eight eyes and with the love know speak and do. This is just a form that can be used to kind of check yourself. Um, You might realize, I haven't given any hope as I look through this checklist. Or if you're involved in training people, uh, maybe they're role-playing counseling or maybe you're observing real counseling, you can document on here where they did well in these eyes or where they need um, to add that. So it can be for preparation, for checking what's gone on, or it can be for training. So we are right at our time. So we've gone through uh, two counseling models on how to do biblical change. They're models for systematic means to counsel. Let's pray, and then we'll be dismissed. Father in heaven, um, we thank you for all the work that went into this by others. Um, We thank you for this counseling model that we can think through the elements of counseling we can think through the process of counseling. We can think through the counseling that we've done. We can train others. And we do pray for us in here that this will result in more fruitful counseling. And Lord, this is all for the purpose of what we were created for, that you would be glorified. Thank you for being here. Um, 9 a.m. tomorrow is uh, two general sessions with Jim Newheiser and uh, Heath Lambert. So that'll be a blessing. You're dismissed. I hope you sleep really well. Copyright 2015 IBCD, all rights reserved. More free audios are available at www.ibcd.org.